Good morning. I want to start out by apologizing for this talk, um, for any inaccuracies or made-up ideas that come from me. Uh, I've been working on this idea for about 20 years. I've been studying it intensively for about six years, and I've been working on this talk for three months, and I was revising it this morning when I was walking on my walk. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to start with a quote from Master Sotisan from the scripture of the Founding Master, Practice. I'll read it twice. The Founding Master said, Have you ever seen heavenly beings? Heavenly beings do not reside, reside in some distant heavenly realm. The infants over there are heavenly beings, since they don't have one iota of selfishness in their minds. They receive heaven's endowment through their mothers, but as their self-consciousness begins gradually to grow, their endowment from heaven also gradually comes to an end. People cultivating the way without selfish thoughts will receive immeasurable endowments from heaven, but as soon as they begin to have selfish thoughts, the path to heaven's endowment will also be blocked. Again, the founding master said, Have you ever seen heavenly beings? Heavenly beings do not reside in some distant heavenly realm. The infants over there are heavenly beings, since they don't have one iota of selfishness in their minds. They receive heaven's endowment through their mothers, but as their self-consciousness begins gradually to grow, their endowment from heaven also gradually comes to an end. People cultivating the way without selfish thoughts will receive immeasurable endowments from heaven, but as soon as they begin to have selfish thoughts, the path to heaven's endowment will also be blocked. From my perspective as a Dharma practitioner, but as well as a psychoanalyst who studies developmental issues and and studies studies about watching babies uh, develop, this seems like a remarkable observation by Master Sotisan, the realization that young infants don't have a sense of self. They don't have a concept of self. They just exist in their, with a mind, with consciousness, but without self-consciousness. So the Buddha, starting with the Buddha, one of the things that it seems to me that was the Buddha's first original um, discovery was that when he was trying, when he was studying suffering for those six years, he followed all the teachings that were available at that time and developed deep states of samadhi and uh, what are called jhanas and um, special states of existence. And yet he didn't find his answer there. And what was what did he use to find his answer? Mindfulness. The first invention of the Buddha was mindfulness. And what was mindfulness? Why was it different than the other ways of meditating? Mindfulness, instead of controlling the mind, attempted to look at the mind, to understand the mind to see exactly what's there without imposing anything on it. And when he did that, one of his discoveries was the controlling entity that we call I am, ourself, 
wasn't there. There wasn't anything like that there. There was just experience. And from that, he realized so many important things. He realized the cause of suffering, the end of suffering, and and he, st and he talked frequently about the I, the me, and the mine in, as hindrances to the way to enlightenment. Over and over again in his teachings, he brought up the concept of I, the concept of myself, the concept of mine as something to be eliminated, to be gotten rid of, to realize the emptiness of that over and over again. He applied it to many different situations and again found that actually the cause, the, the, the deepest cause of suffering was this concept of I and me and mine. So where he got with that was that in practice, when the concept of I, the concept of myself, the concept of mind would come up. With mindfulness, we would realize not that not number one, it didn't exist, but that we wanted to eliminate it. And the goal of Theravadan Buddhism was what was called cessation. Cessation of the hindrances, cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion. But delusion was the most important one because delusion was the idea of a separate um, continuous, unchanging I or self or soul. And that was kind of the, that was the belief before he, before he came in Hinduism and Eastern religion. So this is, this is not easy to accomplish because we learn from the outside about this separate I or me and then mine from the early time of life. And we learn it from social interactions. Why do we have an I? Why do we have a me? Well, it's to help us to navigate in our social cultural dimension of our lives. Without another person, there would be no I, no me. But we as human beings are embedded in the social cultural um, environment where it's very important to develop an outside view of ourselves. And that's what we do almost from birth. Almost from birth, we become very concerned with how the other sees us. And how the other sees us is our conception of I. It's not based on our, our inner experience of ourselves. It's based on how we see ourselves through others' eyes. This is a very important development. It's very useful in, um, evolutionarily. It's very useful in getting along with our group of being accepted from others. But unfortunately, it also leads to great suffering. It leads to craving. It leads to selfishness. It leads to the ideas of being and non-being. It leads to the ideas of birth and death. So the elimination of this I, me, and mine can, but I think with tremendous effort, lead to cessation of those ideas and then enlightenment. But 
the enlightenment that comes about through that, which, you know, is, is an incredible enlightenment, the enlightenment of an arhat in traditional Buddhism, was developed further in Mahayana Buddhism. Mahayana Buddhism, the idea of concepts themselves was exploded. Yet that the realization that concepts are not real. They're just, they're just creations of our mind. They're just creations of, of communication. They're just creations of society. They serve, they're, they're tools. But we believe in them. We believe in them. And when concepts are accepted without question over and over again, they're not just concepts, they're beliefs. So this idea of a self, that's a belief. And it's a belief we believe in as deeply as any religious belief, as any anything. So Mayana Buddhism looked at this and it took a step further in terms of enlightenment, in terms of moving forward. We often hear about the Bodhisattva, you know, the vow to save all sentient beings to, and wisdom and compassion as the central uh, tenets of Mayana Buddhism. And I, I certainly wouldn't question that. But the other thing that Mahayana Buddhism over time uh, understood and developed was the idea that these concepts of samsara and nirvana are just concepts. And so the idea that the traditional Buddhists had of cessation leading to the end of samsara and making and delivering us to nirvana in Mahayana Buddhism was changed. It was changed to the idea that samsara and nirvana are, are the same thing, and our practice is not to get out of anything, but to transform it into a heavenly Buddha realm. And we can do that. We can do that by mind, through uh, samadhi and mindfulness. But what we understand, we might understand as the Buddha probably did, is that when he was studying his mind he realized that there were two points of view in studying his mind. There was the observer and the observed. And in Mahayana Buddhism, they realized that this is a false situation. There's no observer. There's just the mind. The mind doesn't observe itself. The mind just experiences. That's called non-dual experiencing. Now, now I think that we've had talks about non-dual awareness and you know, I think that there's some misunderstandings of the implication of that so that, that there's some um, concepts that arise out of it. But non-dual awareness has nothing to do with concepts. It has to do with seeing our original nature from our original nature, not from outside it, not from a third-person perspective, but from not even from a first-person perspective. Because in non-dual awareness, there's no other perspective. There's only the world. There's only experiencing. There's no self. There's no other. There's no needs for, you know, the brain-body complex can take care of itself. It doesn't need an I. It doesn't need a leader. It, does, it doesn't need a Captain Michael to lead the way in the world. It, it'll do fine without any I concept. It'll, it'll take care of what it needs. 
without the idea of competition, without the idea of controlling anything, it'll just work automatically. And when we can achieve true non-dual awareness, which, you know, I can only imagine, um, we go back, we go to what Master Sote San often talked about of true self-nature. Our true self-nature is non-dual awareness. And non-dual awareness has no, it doesn't say everything is one, but then at the same time there's no separation. So obviously I don't fully understand this. I'm struggling mightily to understand it. I'm working on it and I don't know if I'll ever understand it. And I hope I haven't confused you too much in my trying to understand it. But I think that if I could achieve what the original Buddha talked about, I certainly would not be unhappy. But I love what we're learning in Mahayana Buddhism, the goal of transformation, transforming ourselves and in transforming ourselves and realizing there's no self and achieving non-dual awareness. In that process, we transform the world. So thank you for listening to me and I hope you go away with something from this talk and I'm going to continue to work on it and maybe next year I'll come back and do better. Thank you very much.